Well, uh, my wife Shannon recently wrote a letter to my daughter who's away at college now. We don't write letters much anymore, do we? I mean, that's kind of becoming a lost art. Shannon and I actually did exchange letters when we were dating. We met on a summer ministry opportunity. We were at two separate universities. And so we were dating long distance right out of the gates in 1990. So there was no Insta and there was no texting or Facebook or anything like that. Shoot, we didn't even have email. Like we're talking Stone Ages. <clears throat> and you say, well, we'll just call on the phone. But for those of you around back then, you remember like long distance was crazy expensive. Remember that? So we would wait till 11 p.m. Remember it drop off at 11 p.m. We'd wait till 11 p.m. We'd speak like twice a week for a half an hour. Uh, and that was it. Not quite the codependence we know today that's called dating. But... <clears throat> Side comment there. Uh, but so we, we, uh, we found other ways that we could communicate, though. Uh, one of them, we decided we were both young, growing Christians. We decided to study a book together, a Christian book. And so we both had a copy. We'd read a chapter. What we would do is record our thoughts about that chapter on, lo and behold, something called a cassette tape, right? And at least it wasn't an 8-track, right? But, but a cassette tape, and they would pass in the mail. And recently in one of those books, we found this receipt right here. So there's Shannon Sebring, her maiden name, mailing one of those cassette tapes down to me at my box in Slater Hall, the student union at Denison. So, uh, and so we found that tucked in, and we're like, oh, look at that, you know. So, uh, so that's one way we communicated. And, of course, uh, we also sent letters. And I remember going to my box in Slater, 1324, opening that thing up. And if there was a letter from my love in there, oh, my goodness, I was so, so excited. I did send her letters. I wrote them on my Mac SE30 because I have handwriting like most guys. And I wanted her to be able to read it, right? So uh, not romantic, but at least I sent letters, right? Uh, so we, we exchanged letters. And I did. I loved getting letters from Shannon. And I want you to imagine, what if you had the most amazing, like literally perfect father ever? If you don't know what that's like, you can ask my kids. And they will tell you that they don't know. They don't know because that's just not a thing in our household. But, uh, but anyway, what if you had like an amazing, amazing, amazing father and hearing from him was life itself? And the only way he could communicate to you was through a letter. And what if you got a letter? What if you got two letters from him? Oh, that would be amazing. And so I talk about that because we are jumping into First and Second Thessalonians. These are two letters in the New Testament. They're scripture. And they're letters, we call this letters from our dad. And I'll explain that a little bit more in a bit. But first let me show you how the first letter begins. Here it is. It says, Paul... Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Okay, and if you look at 2 Thessalonians, the intro there is like almost the exact same, so I won't read it. But what I want to do is tell you a little bit of the backstory. We're going to study these letters for a couple months, so let me tell you a little bit of the backstory. And if you're a history buff like Shannon and myself, you're going to love this part. If you're not a history buff, Jesus loves you anyway. You're messed up. I don't. But hang in there, and we'll be okay, all right? But here's some of the backstory. It starts out with the Apostle Paul. Remember, Paul started out, he, he was a Jew, 
and he hated Christians. He was a persecutor of Christians. And then he came to faith in the Lord Jesus himself. He became a lover of Jesus, a missionary, an apostle. He went on three missionary journeys. If you were with us some years ago, we went through the book of Acts and we saw his three missionary journeys. Basically, he had wanderlust for Jesus, and he would go town to town spreading the incredible gospel that Pastor Jared just talked about in communion, like this great gospel of Jesus Christ. Town to town doing that. Uh, Remember, though, that travel was not easy back in that time. Not at all. Like, there was no planes, trains, and automobiles. Great movie, right? Those aren't pillows, right? Yeah, okay. So, but, but, but there, were no, there was none of that transportation. So travel back then was like really, really difficult. So if you think of some dirty homeless guy that has all his stuff in his backpack and he wanders town to town getting odd jobs along the way to, so that he can feed himself. Now, if that guy is also talking a lot, of, a lot about Jesus and planting churches, we call him Paul. Okay, that's Paul right there doing that kind of stuff. And so his second missionary journey looked like this. There's a map, you see the Mediterranean Sea in in the gray there, and it started out in the bottom right, that's Jerusalem. So I put some red dots on some of the kind of points that I'll talk about along the way a little bit. But he started out in Jerusalem, went north up to Antioch there on the right side of your screen. Uh, Though the gospel started in Jerusalem, Antioch was really the sending church for these missionary journeys. So he goes up there. Now he's going to leave there, and he's going to travel with Silas, and Timothy. Remember the letter started out Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Silvanus is the Roman form of Silas, okay? So Paul and Silas are traveling partners. Along the way on his second journey, he picks up Timothy. Likely, he led Timothy to faith on his first journey and then picked him up and Timothy joins the mission trip on his second journey. And so he picks him up along the way. Now, what we glean already is that uh, Paul, he is not a lone ranger, okay? Uh, Paul is into the fact that he has a team. So as he writes, it's Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. As he goes on a journey, he takes a team. Paul is a team player. This is a reminder that Christianity is not for lone rangers. It's not an individual sport. It's a team sport. And I'll tell you what, I am really blessed here at Redemption Chapel. We have a great staff team. Last weekend, my wife and I went down to visit my daughter Madison at college, and uh, we were not here, and I was not missed, and that's fantastic. (laughs) That's really, really healthy, and we've got a great team doing ministry here, and I'm really grateful for the team. We're blessed by them, and I'm, I'm grateful for them. So what Paul's doing then on his second journey, he takes his team and he's going through, and I underlined Asia and Galatia there. Those are regions. Now it's not Asia as we think of Asia today. It's what they called it back then. But Asia and Galatia together, that's what we call Turkey today. And he's going through there and visiting the churches that he planted on the first journey. He gets over to the western edge of what we know of Turkey in a little town, I got a red dot there, called Troas. And while he's there, he has this vision, this dream of a guy over across the sea in Macedonia saying, come to us, help us. And so what he does is he crosses the Aegean Sea there and goes over, and I underline Macedonia and Achaia on the left. Those together make up what today we know of as Greece. And so this is the gospel for the first time penetrating Europe. So he does, he crosses the Aegean Sea, and he gets over to a town, and there's a red dot there, on Philippi. 
In Philippi, he has great, great ministry while he's there. Things go really well up until he's put in prison. And so he's in prison. He gets out of prison, though, and still things went well. But now he's leaving town from Philippi, and he goes west. And the next red dot to the west is called Thessalonica. Thessalonians, Thessalonica. So that's the next stop. So let me tell you about that city because we're going to be talking about it a little bit. Uh, That was a very important city. It was the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia. So this is a very important city politically, but it's also very important economically. It was booming. It was hopping. Have you heard of the Roman roads? All roads lead to Rome, and Romans roads just made, were impressive. The biggest one was called the Egyptian Way, okay? And it went from Rome all the way to what they would call the Orient. And along that way, Thessalonica was a stop on that way. As well, it's a port city. It had a wonderful natural harbor, so it made it, like, economically booming. Because of that, there was a lot of diversity. There were sailors and traders, uh, not like trade tours, but like people who did trade, right? So traders, uh, there were a lot of immigrants and travelers through there. It was a very big city, about 100,000 to 200,000 people. Now, in our day and age, we don't think of that as... Back then, though, that was a ginormous city. And very diverse religiously as well. So they would have worshipped... Most of these would have been Gentiles. That's non-Jews, okay? Non-Jewish people. Most of them were Gentiles. They worshipped the Greco-Roman pantheon, Zeus and the like. There would have also been the imperial cult, that is to worship the emperor and his family. Because Egypt was such an important trade partner, there was all, Egypt cast a shadow there, so the Egyptian cults were there. Basically what you hear, there was a lot of idolatry, worshiping of idols. And so they would have been mainly polytheists, pluralists, and confused. Much like your American neighbors. Most of them are that way. And then there were also, there was a large population of Jews in the city. Jews were very good businessmen, and so wherever there was an economic hub, they were there. And so because there was a large Jewish center, there was a synagogue in Thessalonica, and that's likely why Paul stopped there. But the Jews would have been the only monotheists, but sadly legalistic and prideful at that. So Paul, uh, what he does is he stops in Thessalonica. Now, if you read Acts 17, you read the story of his mission trip into and out of Thessalonica. What we find out there is he stopped there and he preached for three Sabbaths from the scriptures in the synagogue. Now, when, when he says scriptures, he means what we call the Old Testament. And he preached from there about Jesus. Like, what? Yeah, he showed them the Jewish Messiah, that Jesus was the promised one, that he came to suffer and to die and to rise, and he was their only hope. And he preached over and over, and the Jews would have none of it. A few came to Christ, but mainly they chased him out of the synagogue so he could not return there. Now, the timeline after that gets a little fuzzy. It's not specific, as Luke writes down in Acts. It's not very specific. But I believe Paul stayed in Thessalonica for about two to three months There are other things in the timeline that kind of necessitate that he was there probably a while. And what he did during that time is he supported himself. I told you odd jobs along the way. He was a tent maker. He made tents to support himself and his friends during the journey. And uh, also what happened, he he moves from the synagogue and he starts to really reach out to all the Gentiles, right? And, And they come to faith. They turn from their idols, come to faith in Jesus like 
big time, like severely like cool stuff, such that Paul, as he stays in Thessalonica doing that ministry for two, three months, the, the rumors, the reputation of the church growing in Thessalonica is so big, it spreads to other cities throughout Macedonia, so that when Paul leaves there and goes on his journey, like word's already gotten ahead of him of what happened in Thessalonica. It's so cool. Kind of primes the pump for Paul in those other cities. Now, it's wonderful stuff. There's this young church, but unfortunately, persecution starts. It comes from the Jews in this case. And the reason why is because we think of Christianity and Judaism as two separate religions. Back then, they would have been viewed the same. Christianity at first was thought of as a subset of Judaism. It was the Jewish Messiah. We just think his name's Jesus, right? And so as this church starts to get trashed and grow, the Jews become threatened. After all, it's their reputation. They don't like it. They try to stamp it out. And so what they did is they formed a mob, and they started a protest. And Tifa showed up. It turned into a riot. And, and okay, it doesn't say that. But what it does, they did form a mob, and they did start a riot. And what they did is they went through the city. They tried to grab Paul. They couldn't find Paul. So what they did is they grabbed the guy with whom Paul was staying. His name's Jason. He's a young, new Christian in Thessalonica. They grab him and some others. They drag them before the local city government and accuse them of sedition. It's treason against the state. Basically, they're claiming King Jesus. But wait, Caesar is the emperor, so they see what they're doing there. They don't actually care as the Jews about that, but they got him on this, right? And the city government's not fooled. They let him put up a money, some money as a pledge and let these guys go. But before you get all down on the Jews, look, at we could say, like, how dare they? I mean, how dare they, right? Remember, that's who Paul was. Don't forget that. Paul started out as a Jew who was persecuting Christians. And one of the things we need to do, when we see the brokenness in the world around us, we've got to remember the brokenness from which Jesus saved us. He, he did that for us, and we got to be gracious to them. I think Paul might have been the most gracious person with his Jewish persecutors. We've got to do that with the people around us. Nonetheless, persecution did start to cook up hot in the city, rising against the new Christians. We read about that in the very letter. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, it says this. Remember Paul's writing, he says, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Ministry's hard there because of the persecution. There's much conflict, but it doesn't stop Paul. All the persecution never stops him. He preaches the gospel anyway, and that's exactly what the church has to do. Listen, in a broken, fallen world, the church is much more at home in conflict rather than in comfort. And yet what we usually seek is comfort but we are at home in conflict. Now, because the heat is intensifying in the city, what the church does is send Paul, Silas, and Timothy along their missionary journey to let the heat die down a little bit. So if you look back in the map, they, up at the top there is that top dot is Philippi. They scoot west along the Egyptian way. And the next red dot, excuse me, they went from Philippi to Thessalonica, and then they left that city, and then they went west, just a little jaunt there to Berea. Now, here's something interesting. The, uh, the Jews were so ticked at Paul, they followed him. Remember, travel was not easy, so they were committed, right? Like, they followed him to the next city, caused problems for him in Berea so that he got kicked out of that city, too. They hated Paul 
something fierce. So what happened next then is the long jaunt heading south down the Grecian Peninsula as we know it today, but they went down to Athens. Uh, all three of them, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And when they got down to Athens, uh, Paul starts to get concerned about that young church he planted back in Thessalonica. So what he does is he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica. And you can read about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 and following. Look at this. It says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. Then if you skip to chapter 3, it says this. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. So, uh, from Athens, they send Timothy back to Thessalonica. And Paul and Silas then scoot west to Corinth. Timothy, for his part, after visiting the Thessalonian church, uh, he encourages them and exhorts them in the faith. And then he goes back and he joins Paul and Silas down in Corinth, gives a report to them about how the church is doing. Now we come to the letters. All right, uh, and well, first let me tell you this. Here, here's, you see, he gives a report to Paul. You see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Look at this. It says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought to us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. And he goes on with some stuff. So Timothy brings back the report. Now the letters come in, and what happens is Paul, because of Timothy's report about the church, it prompts him to write a letter. And he grabs an unnamed messenger, we don't know who, probably a guy because of back in that day, and so he gives it to this guy and sends him up to Thessalonica with the letter. He delivers the first letter that we're, we're looking at, and then probably gets another report of how the church is doing, goes back to Paul on that report, still in Corinth, Paul then is prompted to write the second letter. So he writes these two letters from Corinth to the church in Thessalonica. The thing we gather from that is that Paul is like a spiritual father to these spiritual children, this church that he birthed. It's a young church, and he loves it, and he writes a letter to them. But time out. How do you write? It's like they don't have a building. How do you write a letter to a church? There's no, there's no building. There's no church, right? <laughs> Hardly. Hardly, right? We know that a church is not a building. A church is a body of believers. The church is seated before me right now. We are not sitting in the church. We are seated as the church. So the church is built of flesh and bone, not of brick and mortar. And so just because they have a building matters not at all. Paul writes to the family of believers, the church in Thessalonica. And what he wants them to do is to gather every, all the children around the table and read the letter from dad. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 27. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. All the children, all the brothers and sisters. Now, that's the backstory. That's how we got these letters. And we believe that they are not only written by Paul, but they are the inspired, inerrant word of God. And they were meant not only for the Thessalonians 2,000 years ago, they are meant for us today. 
And that's why we'll spend a couple of months looking at these letters. As we do, here's something I want you to keep in mind. This was a very young church. I don't mean that everybody in the church was young in age, and I guess some of them were, but I mean they were all new to Christianity. You see, 1 Thessalonians and 2, they are some of the earliest writings, maybe the earliest writings in the New Testament. Uh, we're not really sure Galatians might have come before it. I'll admit to you, there's some scholastic educated guesswork that goes this. Look, when you, when you take a book today, you open the cover, and you know there's the title page, but before the title page, there's that one page with all the gobbledygook that nobody reads, right? And buried in there is a copyright date. These things didn't have copyright dates, okay? So, so there's some investigation to figure out, and it might have meant, but Galatians, if it wasn't first, it was second, and we'll study that next year. So first and second Thessalonians, the point is, they were... They were probably first. This is really early on. They were written about AD 50, which is only about 20 years after Jesus died and rose. This is pretty early on, okay? It's so early that Paul has to qualify the term church, okay? Let me explain this. The Greek word for church is ekklesia. That's what's in the New Testament. We, we say church today, okay? Now, when Paul writes that, you've got to understand, we didn't invent that term. That term had been around. It meant assembly or gathering or group or organization, something like that. And so if Paul had simply written to the assembly, to the church in Thessalonica, they would have said, which assembly? Do you mean, do you mean like... The tent makers group, or do you mean the, like the blacksmiths guild? Which assembly? You didn't say. We're confused. Who's this go to? Now, later on, we would hijack that term, and everybody would know, eventually it would become a technical term that when you say church, everyone knew you meant a group of Christians. And in Paul's later letters, he doesn't have to be so uh, clear and qualify it so much. But this is so early on that the term hasn't even reached its technical use yet. And so what he writes, like he says, to the church of the Thessalonians. If you stop there, they're like, which one, right? No, but he goes on, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, okay. Okay, you mean that weird group. Right? That weird group that thinks some guy rose from the dead and that that guy's God, and that he's the key to life, and that all other gods are false gods. Gotcha. That's who the letter goes to. And so that's who gets the letter. Of course, later on, ecclesia would take on its technical term, and we just know now that by church you mean a group of Christians. But the point is, this is really, really early on, such that when Paul is writing this letter, the church in Thessalonica is less than a year old. Okay? All of them, the entire congregation, are all baby Christians. And Paul loves them. They're his babies. He cares for them. He wants them to grow. So in two short letters, he packs in so much stuff, so much instruction to help a young Christian grow in the faith. I'll give you a little summary of the letter that's found in the letter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. As I've been looking at both letters, this kind of sums it up pretty well. Paul writes, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you 
And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Okay, how many of you are like, what? <laughs> What's that? Okay, that's the thing. It's jam-packed. Paul's very efficient with everything that he is putting in there. So let me break it down. Look over that. Let your eyes go over that, and let me pull out some bullets. First, he talks about his joy over them, his tender affection. He's a spiritual father. Then he goes on to say, hey, I wish I could be with you because I want to supply what's lacking in your faith. That is, you've come to faith in Jesus, but you still have a lot of growing and learning to do, and I have things to tell you and teach you. It's a good dad. He wants to grow him up. But he's not the only dad. He also talks in there about the fatherhood of God. We'll talk about this in a, in a bit, but Paul knows exactly who the real father is. And he'll talk about that throughout the letter. Then he encourages them in their brotherly love toward one another. Okay? That it should be, uh, what's he say, increase and abound. That is to overflow with love for your fellow Christian. That talks, it's talking about that throughout the letters a lot. But then he also talks about impacting those outside the church. Notice it says your love for one another and for all. And for those outside the church, that we impact them and love them into the gospel. And he talks about growing in holiness. That will be in the letters some. And then he talks at the end there about the second coming of Jesus. He came once. He's coming back for us. And in the Thessalonians, remember, they're in such persecution. The second coming with Jesus, that's their hope. That's their hope. And so Paul will talk a lot in these letters about the second coming of Jesus. Now, I don't expect that you're going to hold on to all that. That's fine, because we're going to work back through these letters. Here's what I want you to hold on for today. They are young Christians. They are less than a year old in the Lord, and they are killing it. I mean, they're crushing it, doing so well. Paul is so proud of them. And the question I want you to ask yourself is, why not you? Why not you? These, these Thessalonian Christians are less than a year old in the Lord. They're recent converts from, few from Judaism, but mostly from paganism. They've been rocked by Jesus. They're forsaking their idols. They're living large for Jesus. They're living with eternity in view. They're looking forward to the second coming. They are having huge impact for king and kingdom. And when we hear something like, Huge impact for king or kingdom. What we think is, oh, must have been a Christian for what? Two, three decades? Probably a seminary degree. Maybe a pastor. Nope. They're just average Christians living large for Jesus. Less than a year old in the Lord. So why not you? Could you be rocked by Jesus? Could you forsake your idols? Could you live large for Jesus? Could you live with eternity in view? Could you look forward to the second coming? Could you have impact for king and kingdom? Absolutely, why not you? If these young Thessalonian Christians can do it, so can you. So can you. Now for that to happen, of course, you're going to have to listen to your dad and respond in faith. And so let me address that a little bit. We've, we've subtitled this series, Letters from Your Dad. And we have kind of a dual meaning there. 
First, of course, this is about Paul being like a dad to the Thessalonians. He gave life to the church. He loves them, proud of them, misses them, wants to be with them. He feels responsible for them. And there's lots he wants them to learn so that they can grow in the faith. He even hints at that. Look, it's more than a hint. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul knew he was a spiritual dad to them. So when he writes these letters, much of it kind of fits in the category of like parental advice. Typical parental advice. Some of these are paraphrases of mine, but as I've looked through the letters, a lot of it falls into these bullets right here. He says things like, I'm proud of you. I thank God for you. We miss you. Can't wait to see you. We're praying for you. We're worried about your future. I mean, how many parents? Like, I'm worried about your future. Okay. For them, that means the end times and second coming, and they're confused about it. And Paul's worried about their future. And then he wants them to make good choices. Make us proud, right? That's in there, that kind of stuff. How to leave a legacy, how to have an impact. Then he says, be nice to your siblings. Does that sound like mom and dad, right? Be nice to yourself. And then he talks about sexual purity. What parent doesn't tell their kids about sexual purity? So it's in there. He talks about how to grow upright. Work hard. Don't be lazy. Okay, that's like totally parental right there. Beware of bad people. And now what parents say, he talks about the lawless one in in in, uh, the second letter. Stay grateful. Be grateful. That's in there. And remember your roots. Remember where you came from. Remember who you are in Christ. All this stuff feels, oh, you know what he also covers? Stuff like brush your teeth and wash behind your ears and eat your veggies. And none of that's in there, but it would fit. It would completely fit if it were in there. It all sounds like stuff from your parents. In fact, he writes these two letters back to back. It's like, Dad, didn't you just send us a letter? Yeah, but I miss you already, right? See, with Madison off off at college, I can't get enough time with her on the phone. And and I miss her. I love her. I want to advise her, which she loves so much. So, so much, right? Because, you know, a prophet is not without honor except in his home. Home, <laughs> just in his home. So there it is. Uh, and, but, but really, I just miss her. And so I, I'd fire off letters like, and Paul, boom, boom, sends two right in a row. Paul is like a dad to them. So when we say letters from your dad, these are letters from the spiritual father, Paul, to the spiritual children. But there's a second layer to this. We, we really mean it as a double entendre. Look it up. It means a double meaning. Um, And so there's a dual meaning here. And remember, as Scripture, yes, this came from the hand of Paul, but at the same time, we believe it was the Word of God. It is the Word of God. It's exactly what God intended to be recorded. This is from the heart of God. And so it's not only from Paul to the Thessalonians 2,000 years ago, it is from the Father to us today. It's the Word of God. Remember how the letter began? Look at verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. And throughout these letters, Paul will again and again come back to the fatherhood of God. And so again, yes, they're from Paul to the Thessalonians, but they are from God to us. He is our Father. He has a lot of instruction for us. He wrote it down for us. He wants us to grow upright. 
Now, one of the difficulties in doing the intro sermon to a series where we're going to work through a, it's like, well, okay, what do you do for application on this? Here's what I have for you. What if you started to read the Bible like letters from your dad? Because if we're honest, we think of it as like some stiff, stale, dusty old book that I, out of obligation, I kind of have to read to be a good Christian. But what if it was a letter from my loving father? Now, time out for a sec, because I know some of you struggle with that thought. Because some of you had a lousy father, like I had a lousy father. Some of you are like, did he just say that? You're online, man. It's okay. He's dead. He's not going to hear it, okay? So don't worry about it. But uh, some of you had the privilege of growing up with a wonderful, wonderful father. And so you learn about the fatherhood of God by comparison. Like my dad was like that. He's great. So God's like that. And you learn by comparison. Some of you are like me. You have to learn by contrast. That my dad was like that. God's the opposite. <laughs> and, and so God's not like that. Okay? If you're in that camp with me, uh, work with me. Let's redeem fatherhood. This is fatherhood as it should be. A perfect dad, a loving dad. He loves you. He gives you. He sacrifices his son for you. He provides for you. He can't wait He's for you. He's longing for you. He's going to bring you home someday. He wants to help you grow up, right? This is a great, great dad, and he's written you a letter. Ashley, too. No, 66. He's written you 66 letters. It's called the Bible. And what if we approached it that way and read letters from our wonderful dad who loves us so much? That would be a game changer. And when you go into those letters, you're going to find out, you know what he wants for you? He wants you to have grace and peace. You see it at the end there? Grace to you and peace. That is the greeting that Paul uses in both 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And at the end of both letters, grace from Jesus, peace of the Father. Both letters end the same way. Bookends. It's all about grace and peace. So, so what about this? This is your loving Heavenly Father who just wants you to have grace and peace. So hear, hear this in His voice right now, okay? Into your heart. Grace, child, grace. Grace, child, grace. What if we were to actually receive grace from God? What if we were to give ourselves grace? What if we were to give grace to the people around us? What if we lived a grace-oriented life? Oh, that would be so wonderful and so freeing. It's only possible by the grace of Jesus Christ. And then the second thing I want you to hear, the voice of your Father into your heart, peace, child, peace, peace. This is, this is the Hebrew form of peace, shalom. It's much more than, uh, than just the absence of fighting. It has to do with inner peace, an attitude, a wholeness, a settledness, where my life is now in harmony with God. I know who my God is. I know who I am in light of him. I've received grace, so now I have peace. And if we're honest, we go out in the world scrambling. Every day is a battle. I've got to try to prove myself, justify myself. I want people to like me. I want to work hard. And, and am I good? Am I good? Am I good? Peace, child, peace. You've received grace from God, and now you can have peace in your heart, peace in your life. Know your identity in him. You can be stable and solid and secure. Peace, child, peace. So what I want you to do is know that that is what your dad wants for you. He wants you to have grace and peace. And let us embrace it, let's receive it, and let's soak in his word that speaks about that. 
In fact, here's your homework for this week. Two things. First, what I want you to do is I want you to read First and Second Thessalonians. You're going to discover that they are very short letters. And so if you want to get bonus work, you read Acts 17, where Paul went into Thessalonica. And if you read that, you get a, a gold sticker. I don't have them. Go see Pastor Jared. But that would be his problem. But, but uh, So I at least want you to read First and Second Thessalonians. And then secondly, here's what I want you to do. I want you to wake up every morning. And first thing, I want you to meditate on grace and peace. And I want you to receive grace and peace from God to you directly, just in your bedroom, this week, every day. And then I want you to walk out that day, walk out the door into the world, and you're going to live out grace and peace. All right? So read those letters. Meditate on grace and peace, and for now, let me pray. Dad, (laughs) our dad, our heavenly father, we love you. It's a pleasure right now as one of your sons to gather with my brothers and sisters around the scripture table and to be in your presence through prayer right now and to speak out to you and say, we as your kids love you. Thank you so, so much that you didn't leave us in the dark, that you spoke and had it written down so that we could get letters from you, our dad. And and if we're honest, Father, we we treat your word like somehow it's a chore. And we want to repent of that. We want to just gorge ourselves on your scriptures as letters from you, our dad. And as we do, Father God, could we experience grace and peace. And I pray for all of us this week that every day we would meditate in the morning on grace and peace and receive that from you and walk in light of that throughout the day. Father, lead us forward there, please. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.